What's going on guys, it's your man with the plan, Samuel Plan, coming back at you once again with another brand new installment of Sports Entertainment is Dead right here on Lords of Pain Radio. Thanks for tuning in guys, if you missed last week's episode you can still go catch that on demand, the way to do it is very simple, head over to Spreaker, head over to lordsofpain.net and you can catch my last episode of SCID on demand, you can also do it through your usual podcast provider as well. Please also make sure you check out all the other great shows here on Lords of Pain Radio. We have stuff coming to you each and every single day of the week, covering everything from New Japan Pro Wrestling, Ring of Honor, TNA, Indie Circuits, British Wrestling, you name it, we've got coverage for it. So do make sure you check out all the wonderful shows. You can do so by subscribing. Don't subscribe to Lords of Pain Radio, but do subscribe to each of our shows by their individual name, and that way you can make sure you don't miss a second of the great coverage we've got for you here on Lords of Pain Radio. It is another week in my ongoing project for Sports Entertainment is Dead Year 2. If, of course, you're unfamiliar with it, and this is the first time you're tuning in, I take a guest host every single week and we explore a match chosen quite at random, historically either by myself or said guest, to explore the themes, the creative merits, the character, the narrative, its historical importance, anything that we think is worth commenting on. It's all inspired by my book, 101 WW Matches to See Before You Die, which you can still go ahead and buy on Amazon anywhere in the world. And, of course, it's also the inspiration behind my second incoming book, which will be a direct sequel to 101, but will be focused specifically on the new generation era. Both of these books explore many of the benefits that come with watching your professional wrestling as performance art rather than as sports entertainment, which, as the title of my show implies, is, in my belief, dead. That's what these match explorations aim to do as well. And this week, we have another and back after his appearance last week i am joined once again by my australian namesake if you're familiar with the show you'll have heard him here before as well as on various other episodes of lop radio shows he is the author of sir sam's court here on lordsofpain.net it is sir sam welcome back to the show thank you for having me back i uh i managed to convince you last week that um, of, a, of a New Japan match, so I thought I'd come back this week and uh, pick something that's, you know, going to be really easy and very simple and, you know, that everyone loves. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, one of the one of the key aspects of my book, 101 WWE Matches to See Before You Die, available to buy on Amazon, is to try and get people to take another look at matches that perhaps in the past that they've written off or that they've really not liked or that they think have no merit and to say, look, all right, maybe it's not the best match in the world, but you can glean this, this and this from it, or it's important for these reasons, or maybe it's got some historical significance. And, you know, we finally arrived. I've done two shows with Mav already, one with you finally arrived at our first opportunity to do that this was a match picked by yourself uh, a suggestion of yours thematically very in keeping with the match we discussed last week Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Kota Ibushi in the final of the G1 Climax tournament last year which is Undertaker versus Roman Reigns in the headlining match of Wrestlemania 33 and immediately when I came to watch this I watched the uh, this match and the one we dealt with last week back to back and did my notes for them both back to back and immediately I mean 
folks who listened to the show last week may recall I mentioned that I'd messaged Jude saying, had you picked these two purposefully because of their thematic similarities? Because that's one of the things that stood out to me. Uh, but more pertinently than that was that there are two two major uh, differences as to why I think Ibushi versus Tanahashi works so well and why this one struggles. Undertaker versus Roman Reigns could could be said to struggle. And it's not just... I think to say it's just because the Undertaker is a little out of shape is unfair. Uh, it's not all on him. I think the two key differences are uh, narrative longevity, long-term storytelling, and tangible stakes. You had both of those things thanks to your brilliant setup in Tanahashi versus Ibushi last week. You know, there's Tanahashi's arc, Ibushi's arc, the high stakes being the G1 final, what that meant for the future, and then in turn, what the match that they then gleaned meant for the future at, uh, at a later stage. Uh, and in this one, what you have is a match that was very much rushed to get set up through some really kind of... Uh, I, I don't want to say toxic, but but a move at the Royal Rumble that felt very cynical in having Roman Reigns as a surprise entrant just for the purpose of eliminating The Undertaker, just for the purpose of setting this match up. Uh, you had an Undertaker who was obviously relatively out of shape. You had no real long-term arc here either. This was built up to over a series of about three months, uh, and the two had never... I mean, they'd interacted briefly during uh, the Shield days, but it's not like there was any kind of particular narrative arc for Roman Reigns at this stage, other than he was just the next John Cena in the eyes of a lot of people. And there was certainly no major narrative arc left for The Undertaker. He was very much in the twilight of his career, and in fact, at the time, we all blissfully thought that this was his last match and sadly that would not turn out to be but so immediately I don't know if you got the same thing but those were the two that was the starkest difference for me was the the life of Tanahashi and Ibushi and the the lethargy of this one in comparison Mm. Yeah, look, there's I, I certainly understand where you're coming from. But one of the reasons that I picked this match was because I think it lends itself very well to the I guess the the name of this program. Sports entertainment is dead. Mm. When you when you think about all of the backstage things in that this match represents, when you look at this as sport, particularly um <clears throat> when you're looking for things like botches and those sorts of you know terms that we've come up with this is this is a very cynical match it's not a great match it's a very cynical push by the WWE to do a certain thing that the crowd was dead set against but when you look at this as performance art i think the reason i picked this match is because i think that this match gets a new air when you look at this as performance art uh and no it's not as it's not quite as well set up as Taroshi Tanahashi versus Kota Ibushi, but I would argue that the two characters that have that are in place uh, are, are established enough in their roles that when they meet, it makes a lot of sense. Mm. Um, in Roman Reigns, you've got the person who is the heir apparent to the company, and a lot of the a lot of the dialogue of the the matches around whose yard it is, um, and specifically talking about the ring and that starts at the Royal Rumble. So when when Roman Reigns eliminates the Undertaker, he says this is my yard now. Uh, and that's him staking his territory. That's him saying this is 
this is where I I am the new power. I'm the new sheriff in town almost. Your time is finished. Uh, I have and and when you look at who he's what's happened to him over the course of the the last few years. The year before he beat Triple H. Um, the year before he faced down Brock Lesnar. Um, he is one after one and earlier. Earlier in the year, was that was the John Cena thing? It was the back end of the proceedings. Before? Uh, uh, no, it was after. Or after. I think it was after. My timeline. My head, my, in my head, I'm trying to work it out. It was, it was after, after, you're correct. Okay. Yes. Yeah, it was. It was definitely after. Yes, definitely after. But at the same time, we'll, we'll forget I mentioned John Cena, but at the same time, the year <laughs> before, he'd beaten Triple H. He just, he'd, he'd beaten, I guess, the last... Well, the second last champion, um, remaining champion of the the big era before him, and who was the last person? Who was the ultimate authority? Um, who was the ultimate power in the WWE? It's the Undertaker, and so it's natural that you would have Roman Reigns, who is the new, the new, the new number one guy, the new ultimate power, the new most strong person in the company for lack of a greatest hero i don't know whatever whatever i think i think you get the understanding of where, the position <laughs> that he's in against against the set the person who preceded him and naturally these two these two are not going to get along they both the undertaker still thinks that his time is is then uh he he still thinks that he is relevant he still thinks that he has it uh, and Roman Reigns says, no, it's my time now. Your time is gone, old man. Uh, and so I, when you look at it from the WW, the, the sports entertainment view, it become it's, it is cynical. But when you have that perspective, the performance art perspective, when you're just looking at the performance, and then when we go into the match and you take the take the line that um, that you penned that I think is very apt in that you take the performance at face value and that you don't look at intention. You look at what ac- what actually happened. They create quite a, a narrative that goes along with that, I feel. One of the... Okay, so into, let me, I tell you what. Let me get sort of my more negative points out of the way at the top of the show. <laughs> okay, so we can finish go on for the, it. <laughs> on the positive. I won't fire you. <laughs> <laughs> um, talking about performances... I mentioned last week wasn't necessarily fond of some of the hysterical commentary that came with the Ibushi Tanahashi match. Uh, and it's very easy to rag on WWE's commentary anyway, just generally speaking. But this was a particularly bad instance of it for my money because everything that you've just said is, I think, absolutely bang on. And the obviously the key narrative behind this is the notion that Roman Reigns is the insurrectionist who offs the Undertaker <laughs> and uh, and you know becomes the new big dog because it's his yard and all the rest of it. And it would prove effective. I mean, just look at the promo he cuts the next night on Raw, right, where he just stands in a ring for five Incredible. minutes and people boo the living hell out of him. Um, there's an emotional reaction to that, absolutely, and and it's effective. Uh, the One of the issues with it, I think, is in its presentation the commentary team are constantly t- talking about how 
this is the biggest match by far in Roman's career so far. Bearing in mind, Roman had now been pretty much at the top of the contemporary roster for two years, if not longer, arguably. Had wrestled not just Triple H the preceding year and beaten him, but wrestled Triple H for the world title and proceeds, uh, and, and defeated him in the, the closing headlining slot of WrestleMania. Had wrestled Brock Lesnar, you know, had wrestled his Shield stablemates several times, had wrestled AJ Styles. He'd had a number of high-profile major matches at at this point but nonetheless they disregard all of that and they they almost talk down his achievements as a character as a result but the real issue for me was that when you watch it back they use terms like Roman Reigns is staying with The Undertaker he's keeping up with The Undertaker and and phrases of that nature which ironically end up talking Roman down because of the physical state that the Undertaker is clearly in at the time, mm. which is someone who, who was trying to perform at the level that he had been performing at in preceding years, but was no longer able to do so. And so by portraying Roman Reigns as, quote-unquote, keeping up with that kind of a performance simply indicates that's somehow a step up for him, which I think isn't necessarily a good look. But, and this is the, the underlying point, two things. The first is, that is a, a pretty heavily overthought opinion, I know, but it's something that struck struck me nonetheless. But more importantly, talking about, as you mentioned, uh, artistic achievement trumping authorial intent, I think what happens is the indignity of The Undertaker's performance and the fact that physically he can't do the stuff that he's wanting to do, obviously, as a performer and the stuff that he'd done in preceding years, feeds into the story of what they're you know, the story that they're telling, which is ugly. And it's something that you don't want to have to sit and watch. And it's something that you don't want to see. I remember, I'm a big fan of the very original Planet of the Apes film from the 60s with Charlton Heston in. And I remember watching a documentary about it once. And they they uh, they said that, and this is, I, I get this, this is a totally random analogy, but nonetheless, uh, they there's a scene in the original Planet of the Apes film, the famous one where he says, get your filthy hands off me, you darn damn stinking apes or whatever it is he says and he's been dragged through this city he's been enslaved he's been in a cage he's in a net and this documentary said Charlton Heston was the kind of Hollywood hero you never saw treated like that so to see him treated like that in a film was really kind of impactful and stark to see him brought down to that level and I think that that applies to The Undertaker's performance yes it's awkward I think it doesn't do Roman any favours but these as you rightly say are, are, are sort of more in line with sports entertainment thinking which as we know folks is dead and when you look at it as performance art and you immerse yourself in the universe of this story, what you find is that you're, you're being confronted by a vision of The Undertaker that you find deeply uncomfortable to watch because it's a, it's a picture of The Undertaker that you don't want to see, which is him brought down to a doddering old man in the face of uh, a baying hound in this instance. And that's really quite effective. Yeah, look, you won't hear me... Uh, <laughs> standing up for the WWE commentary at all, uh, <laughs> not not one chance. And and you are, I think you're you're right. And and part of the problem is they don't they don't tell stories where people break down in the WWE. Everyone is ever young. Yeah. Um, you know, everyone is always in the greatest shape of their life. Everyone is always in the biggest match of their life. Yeah. Uh, everyone is always as good as they were at the peak at their peak. Um, and even when they, even when they say, for example, I'm thinking, I'm not sure why this this springs to mind, but when gold dust came back in 2013, they, 
they were saying, oh, he's he's not as good as he once was, but he only needs to be as good as he once was. I can't remember the exact line, but the, the inference was he, he'd slowed down, but he still had enough in him that he could be as good as he once was for one night only. Um, and they they might say that, but they don't tend to tell these stories. Uh, and I think that means that this match does jar because the commentary team obviously isn't talking about how The Undertaker is broken down. And so when he does start to break down in this match and you can see he um, he's slower, he can't do the moves that he once could. And the final bit, which is so poignant, is when he tries to sit up, he can't anymore. Um, that famous thing that he has done so many times in the in the face of adversity has come back from the dead. Um, he His body can no longer sustain that. Uh, and they don't lean into it so much. Uh, and so while you do have this character that is doing almost when, when you started, when you said this, you know, this, this character that's uncomfortable to see um, having been stripped of a lot of their mystique, I think of um, in, in the movie Logan uh, professor X in that movie mm. where he's suffering dementia mm. uh, and it's so sad. Uh, and the performance by Patrick Stewart is incredible. They lean into that. They push, they, they seek to push the artistic boundaries with that. And they don't, I don't think they lean into it enough with this. The commentary team is still, as you were saying, they, I hadn't thought of it before, but now you bring it up. They still are talking about how Roman Reigns is on the same level as um, the undertaker as if that's something that Roman Reigns should be proud of. Roman Reigns should be tearing this person apart. Um, and it's a miracle that the undertaker is able to, um, to hold himself together. And I almost see this as I, I've, I'm brought to – it brings to mind your thoughts on the Tetralogy and the mystique of the streak uh, in that, and it's almost like the the dying breaths of that uh, and how it can no longer – you know, he's been running on fumes and it can no longer sustain him, and the final few, finally the fumes run out when he can no longer sit up – even sit up anymore. That's very uh, fascinating that you've, just, that you've just mentioned that because a thought occurs to me very genuinely – as we speak, because uh, I sat watching the match, and there are there are a lot. I mean, there are a lot of callbacks to big moments and big spots and and big set pieces that take place during that tetralogy, folks. If you're not familiar with what we mean by that, I've explored it in the past on the show. It's the uh, it's the name I give to the four matches the Undertaker wrestled at WrestleMania between 2009, 2012 against first Shawn Michaels and then Triple H, which tell one overarching story. Um, there are a lot of callbacks to a lot of things that happen, whether that's the stay down shouts from Roman Reigns, whether it's the moment where he's wailing on the Undertaker with a chair, whether it's his putting his foot on the chair when the Undertaker goes to use it. And that's just off the top of my head. I mean, there are a lot of other... There's a moment where Undertaker looks like he's going to crawl up Roman like Sean did to the Undertaker. There's a lot of callbacks. And the match itself, I mean, the, the last ride out of the corner, these are, these are all... Uh, ideas we've seen before in Undertaker matches. And at the time, I sort of said, well, that's, you know, that just shows a lack of vision at this point. Uh, but the way that you were just talking about it, there's a... The, it, it's as if... Because with the Tetralogy, one of the things that I always say about those stories is that Sean and Triple H 
aren't just fighting the Undertaker. They're fighting the streak itself, which is at that point, particularly by the time you get to WrestleMania 27, like a, a an entity unto itself that possesses the Undertaker and just uses him as a physical vessel once a year at WrestleMania. That's what they're fighting, is this augmented Undertaker, like the demon is to Finn Balor, for example. Um, and But obviously Brock Lesnar killed that at WrestleMania 31. Uh, sorry, WrestleMania 30. Bray Wyatt resurrects the Undertaker at WrestleMania 31, but the streak isn't there anymore. And what's interesting is it's almost as if here the dead man is reaching out for it like you would to an old friend who's helped you out in the past, but he's not there because he's, he's, he got killed. He got eaten by the beast at WrestleMania 30. And that's a very interesting notion. So all those harkbacks to those matches... That, that probably are, in, listen, in, in, in reality, probably were just a lack of ideas and this has worked in the past, so let's do it again because it's cheap and easy. Uh, but, but again, if you, if, you take an, uh, if you take a proactively interpretive approach to it, you could easily say he's reaching out to try and rekindle something in the hopes it's still there and it isn't. And that eventually proves to be his undoing because obviously Roman, thankfully, it has to be said, uh, walks out with the victory. Um, here's a question for you, Sam, because with uh, 101, uh, I analyze matches as much for their, it's, and it is a bit more meta, as much for their historical value and, and what they might mean in history, as well as their sort of story and their fiction. Does this match now have a different life to what it might have had had The Undertaker never wrestled again, if this was the last time yeah. we saw The Undertaker? That's that. That's a question I've been grappling with myself um, because I I originally – actually, the, one of the reasons I brought this up was I originally wrote about this um, a, a few years ago when I was initially starting in the columns forums. It was one of my earlier articles, uh, and it was after – it was the same year that this happened, so it was in um, 2017 – and it was before it was when there was rumors that he would come back at Survivor Series. He didn't end up doing that, uh, but it was when there was rumors that would happen. Uh, and I was I framed this as this was the perfect ending for the Undertaker, and he never needs to come back. Uh, and obviously, he has come back since. Uh, and Several times. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and in the most garish of fashions, the year after at WrestleMania, where they. Re- resurrected the they resurrected the um they they put the the jacket and the hat back in the center of the ring it just appeared and then john cena through whatever means managed to to re-summon the undertaker um you know i think it does i sadly i think this it does um lose some of its magic um because of in a lot of its magic particularly that ending um because a lot of this is built building towards the fact that this, you know, the way that we've framed it, it it does build it towards this being the last time the undertaker is around. Um, And if the undertaker as I guess the undertaker um, had never shown up again, it would have been a very, I think it would have been a very fitting ending, but that hasn't happened. So it has to lose something. It, It has to be stripped of some of its power because, you know, when he, he's, when he sits up for that, tries to sit up for that final time and can't sit up anymore. And that's meant to symbolize the, his, his power's gone. Well, he sits up again, you know, a, a year and a half later or a year think, later at WrestleMania. It's, 
Yeah. I think the. I mean, I, I I dare say the biggest issue isn't necessarily that he came back. They could have brought him back as biker taker, and I think yeah. the ending of this might have been somewhat. I mean, mean it still Mark would Calloway. have been diminished, <laughs> but it would have been. Uh, mm. Mean Mark, yeah. Um, but the ending would still be diminished a little bit here, but not quite as much. But I think what makes it worst of all is that. Uh, because the thing with John Cena, I actually didn't mind, you know, because it was very brief, it was very quick, uh, you know, it was it was like a post credit scene in one of the Marvel films, you know, it was just a cameo, uh, and it was like what you would see from him in the early 90s, so I didn't mind that. Um, I did really mind the stuff that he's done in Saudi Arabia with Triple H, oh and then God. with Triple H and Shawn Michaels, in because Australia again, as well. it, the, sty- <laughs> the, the styles of those matches... It was as if they thought they could still do the stuff that they were doing in 2009, 2010, 2011, 2012. And it wasn't, you know. And so what you got was an Undertaker, a version of the Undertaker after this story that they tell here, which which has a, a, a real sense of fatalism and finality to it from before they even get to the ring. Um because of the way that it's positioned and Well in the video package beforehand they used the song God's gonna cut you down. Like. Well, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and and the one after it, the name of which I can't remember, it's on my iPod, uh, uses lyrics like, uh, 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 you know, it, uh, there's a reckoning coming, it burns beyond the grave. You know, there's a real mm. sense of this is an ending. Um, for it to then not be an ending, but also for what follows to try and be, uh, you know, a version of the peak of what came before that ending, I think is is just doubly worse. And so it's 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 a shame, not least of all because for Roman Reigns, and this this would plague Roman's career. Um, you know, by the time you get to 2000 and uh, in the night after WrestleMania, the following year, the night after WrestleMania 34, suddenly Roman Reigns is the guy who beat. Uh, the authority but didn't because the authority was still still around the guy who retired the undertaker but didn't because the undertaker was still around and the guy who slayed the beast but didn't because brock lesnar beat him at wrestlemania anyway and so it's like you know from a from a more uh, traditional and orthodox standpoint what the hell was that all about over the last few years as a result so you get that with this match you get a, a perfect demonstration of how WWE seemed to always have a decent idea at the at the heart, a decent story at the core of everything that they're doing, but such a convolute, an unnecessarily convoluted execution, both in the moment and also, you know, in in the follow up or or afterwards, a lack of continuity, uh, that that core story gets drowned out by all of the cynicism that they draw out of you because of their. Uh, fumbling with the ball because of their overthinking and overproducing everything all the time. It's, I mean, in a lot of ways, it's it's the quintessential WWE match. And an inability to just let something be, yeah. um, and and let something fade into history, into the annals of history. Like, I mean, we had Raw reunion earlier this year, and it was, I, I watched the YouTube clips, and it was just. It was so nauseating. I couldn't help but they, the the way that they were trying to, I guess, relive the glory days of the NWO and DX, and now those two factions are more or less this, uh, pretty much merged in in terms of the way that the WWE looks at them historically. Like you know, there was never there was never a split in there was never two programs. It was just the NWO and DX running rampant on on wrestling on wwe programming back in the 90s and the 
them them trying to get the I guess that steal the clout of the Bullet Club and doing the two sweet and that's not cool anymore, guys. Like the Bullet Club doesn't. The guys who made that cool don't do it anymore. It's it's just like let something be, and yeah, this. Uh, I yeah, I've stood up for the match, but there you're right that the what's happened afterwards has robbed this of some of its magic, a, a chunk of its magic, and it's because they just have they don't have the they don't have the the discipline to let a story be. Um, it's like I think the they- you know it's like the the video game franchises that constantly have to churn or movie franchises that constantly have to churn out prequels and um prequels and sequels and you know it would be like if in two years time in the in the mcu all of a sudden tony stark just turns back up again <laughs> or, or Cap I, could, turns I, could, back up I again. could probably see that happening at some point but um yeah no you're absolutely bang on um I think it could have had a, a very special place in history, uh, for even for its its perceived quality, which I think is unfair. I think it is a match that when you go back and you engage it with it in good faith, uh, mm. which is a term that you've used in the past that I really like, um, and you and you do exactly what we're all about here on SCID, and you do exactly what my book's all about, which is committing to the fiction and remembering you're just an audience member. They're the storytellers, so let them tell the story. Um, then I think it does. It's it's at the very least easier to swallow uh, when you come and revisit it. And it, it, I think that it's. I mean, I got a new lease of life on this one a couple of years back. During my uh, uh, my. Uh, second placed performance in I think it was a CSI at the beginning of 2017 that Mazza eventually put me to the post in of all bloody people Um, (laughs) and there was one round where I wrote about this match and there was one round where I wrote about the it was in particular the the pre-match hype package which is often a treasure trove of of, uh, of material for you to glean a new uh, a new lease of life on any given match Uh, and it was the notion of Roman Reigns in particular being a, a sort of crusader for his generation, mowing his way through all of these over-the-hill, you know, uh, part-timers who mm. turned up once a year and were relics of, of yesteryear. And, uh, you know, I mean, there's the, the the lyrics to the song that plays it references the Hounds of Hell, you know, and the, that word hound in particular obviously has very key connotations for Roman and what the Shield achieved. Uh, it talks about being blood on their name. It talks about a reckoning that burns beyond the grave, which seems particularly prescient given that he's wrestling The Undertaker. Uh, and... Mm. It, it was that symbolism that I really attached myself to and thought was really cool. This idea of a, of a totally unapologetic uh, performer uh, and contemporary star saying, nah, man, you, you're done. You're done. And I'm going to show you that you're done. Uh, and that I think the match does tell that story. Uh, and I think that the, uh, the, the physical condition that the Undertaker is in, I appreciate is hard to get past. Uh, but if anything, lean into that and lean into the discomfort of seeing that because mm. it makes the story uh, a hell of a lot more impactful than it might have otherwise been if it was just, you know, because if the ultimately, if the Undertaker could perform at the level that he seems to want to perform at through his, through his efforts here, you would have just got a retread of something we'd seen before, which I think would have been, it probably would have been more effective with the live crowd, but I think probably would, would mean that it's less... Uh, 
memorable in a weird way, less individual because it's it's just one of a, a whole series of matches like it. It's because he can't go the way he wants to that makes it stand apart from those and and makes it um, very. Uh, it's 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 memorable for the wrong reasons in the right way, if that makes any kind of sense. And we've talked a lot about The Undertaker's performance in this match, and rightly so. It's kind of the center point of the, the story. But Roman Reigns' performances is, is very good in this match in, in terms Absolutely. of the, the arrogance and the swagger that is present. Yeah. His body language is contemptuous of The Undertaker, and that lends to that idea that you're, you're talking about. And, you know, thinking about the, the legends that he's faced down at WrestleMania, he... At WrestleMania 30, of course, the Shield beat up the 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 oh I've forgotten Road Dogg and, and Billy Gunn and Kane, the New yeah. Age Outlaws and Kane. That's it. Um, the the Shield beat those guys down at WrestleMania 31. The Shield beat down Brock Lesnar. I mean, it was you know Seth Rollins who got the victory, but it was it was actually a spear by. Roman Reigns that enabled Seth Rollins to get the victory. Okay, this doesn't starts to fall apart when you think about <laughs> WrestleMania 31 a bit too much. Um, <laughs> but WrestleMania 32, really, he he beat down Triple H, um, and so he is rightly so. He's going through these men, and later that year he'd go through John Cena as well. Um, but Absolutely. but performance in this match is fitting of a man who is sick and tired of having to constantly stake his claim and, and just wants to to say once and for all, you are dead. You are gone. Your time has passed. My time... No, I don't want to... God, my time is now. <laughs> you, there's no escaping oh, John Cena. Me. He's everywhere. <laughs> um, yeah, but but his his performance is fantastic in these matches. <laughs> it is absolutely, and it and a testament to his talent, and and a reason I think why people um, have they have been unfair on Roman over the course of his career, and and the, I mean the company have been unfair on on him over the course of his career. But we're getting oh. into a completely different territory there, which we could probably talk about for hours on end alone. Um, I mean, he's the only top guy in the history of the company that's that WWE have had about seven fresh chances to push a new and fucked up pretty much every single one of them. <laughs> uh, amazingly. So, um, but nonetheless, yeah. So ultimately I think we would both say then that it's a match that's worth revisiting and, and leaning into and basically saying it, it is ugly to watch, but that's kind of what its point has that's to be the considering point. the story that they're telling. So embrace that aspect. Of yeah. It. I, Yep, yep. And, yeah, try and... Yeah, it, it's something that, that deserves revisiting because at the time it was very maligned um, for largely for back, backstage purposes and also because of the, um, the Undertaker's physical failings. But when you do look at it as a story, when you look at it as performance art, it, it does get a new sense to it, a new... A new layer to it that is very interesting and very engaging and as a closing note folks if you want any demonstration of the, the ludicrously nauseating sheer amount of bloat that's unnecessary in WWE pay-per-views bear in mind this match ends which is the final match on the show ends 15 minutes before the show actually ends that's 
just insane <laughs> and i appreciate that it's you know it was it was the undertaker's supposed farewell and he had to take his gloves and his hat off and all the rest of it the final match ended a quarter of an hour before the show ended i mean that's just madness to me but there we are um sam thank you again for joining me these last two weeks i really appreciate your having been here you picked two very interesting uh matches to talk about uh, at least one of them was a lot of fun to watch Thank you very much for having me. Uh, if anyone wants to uh, tell me how wrong I am about The Undertaker vs. Roman Rage, <laughs> you can find me on Twitter, Sir underscore Samuel. Uh, feel free to light me up there, and I will I will reply back um, in with grace and grace and poise. Yeah, I'll be Australian I'll be... Yeah, <laughs> and uh, I'm I, I write. Mostly weekly columns. They tend to come out each week on, on lordsofpain.net. Uh, you can find them under the label Sir Sam's Court uh, or the ones with the with the fancy graphics. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and do make sure you check those columns out because they're always a good read. Um, and uh, listen... PA, performance art, watching WWE or any professional wrestling is all about finding a new way to try and make things work for you. Uh, and we, I hope we've tried to do that uh, and to some level succeeded with uh, The Undertaker and Roman Reigns here in, in this particular instance. Sam, I hope you'll come back on the show in the future to do this again. Absolutely. Absolutely. Excellent. It's been, been a lot of fun. Bring another New Japan match with you. Uh, and yep. uh, because as you folks listening will know my sort of guest co-hosts come on for two consecutive weeks running uh, so bring another New Japan uh, match with you I'm going to suggest the WWE match next time which is another maligned show closing Wrestlemania main event and I'm going to say let's look at The Rock versus Cena 2 because that's a match that I maintain is better than the much more beloved first time around okay let's do it so, uh, but that won't be for some time, guys, because I've got a stellar lineup of co co guests hopefully coming our way if the recording sessions work out over the next few weeks. So, Sam won't be back for another good six or seven weeks at the earliest, I think. But uh, next week, make sure you tune in because I will be joined by living LOP legend, the doc, Chad Matthews, for the first of two episodes where we will be going old school and looking back at Jake the Snake Roberts versus Ricky the Dragon Steamboat in a snake pit match on the 4th of October 1986 edition of Saturday Night's main event. That was his pick. So, look forward to doing that. Sam, my thanks once again. Look forward to having you on the show in the future. And until next week, folks, have a good one. <laughs>